first thing is, you know, and this is something that I've done, you know, I talked about my four hour routine in the morning. Read, read everything. Um, read constantly, read every day. Read, 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 read. I think, you know, my, I read economics, I read art history, I read philosophy, I read religious studies, you know, I read uh, commentary, commentary on culture, I read newspapers, I read news articles, I read books, I read, 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 read. If you want to become a better you, read. Um, reading gives you the opportunity to learn things, gives you the opportunity to experiencing things that, that you won't have the opportunity to do in any other environment. Um, it lets you it lets you develop empathy for other people. It lets you develop creativity. It lets you understand how people communicate with each other. It, the reading is, I think, the most important thing that people can do to improve themselves. Um, and then, uh, and, that, and read broadly. Read people that disagree with you. Read people that are specifically making arguments that you hate. Um, read, that's the first thing. Uh, and I think that anyone that reads every single day, they, will, they cannot fail but improve themselves and improve their situation. Heroes are an inspiring group of people, every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer, the ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what, I can fix that, I can help people, I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to the Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews and I have the pleasure of having Jonathan Dio on the line. Jonathan, are you there? I'm here. Richard, how are you? I'm doing great. I have, uh, I've been a little cold up here. I'm halfway up the mountain to Yosemite with my family. So um, I'm, uh, I was a little surprised how cold it was here. <laughs> wow. Warm up. Get a blanket. Yeah. So um, where, where are you calling in from? I'm in Berkeley, California. Have you guys uh, started to get any of the warmer weather there yet, or is it still uh, California cold? Um, well, it's, I mean, it's never terribly cold here. I grew up in South Dakota and Montana. That's, that's a different kind of cold. <laughs> that's why, that's um, why we call it California cold. California cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, I'm not fully acclimatized, so I'm, this is beautiful for me. 60s, 70s, beautiful. See, now, I grew up in Southern California, and my, uh, my freeze point is about 65 degrees. Anything below 65, and, like, my fingers turn blue. Wow, so. that's too bad. It's too bad. <laughs> Awesome. So what I want to do before we get too far in this interview is just do a brief introduction and then we'll uh, we'll dive in. Um, so Jonathan is best-selling author of Mindful Money, and you have led the uh, Bay Area wealth management firm focused on financial planning and client education since 2001. You're a, a Lutheran Sumerian. Wow. I don't know if I said that right. Lutheran Sumerian? Seminarian. Lutheran Seminarian. Yeah. Um, and Buddhist academic turned financial advisor. Um, so what I want to do before we get too far into it is what is it that you do now? Who do you serve? What do you do for them? Um, so it's it's an interesting question because it's it's shifting a little bit, or I'm adding on, I'm adding an element on. So for 25 years, I've worked with pretty well-off individuals and families um, on financial planning and investing, uh, and that's been the core of my business. When 
lockdown occurred in Berkeley in 2020, we started building financial courses. So throughout my career, the thing that's really been um, different or interesting about what we've done is instead of relying on our ability to, to guess what the future is in terms of markets, we've said, hey, how about instead of that, we, we do um, education around basic steps that people can take, things that people control, uh, things that people can actually do to get better outcomes. Yeah. Um, and so we've had clients say, hey, Jonathan, come to my company and talk to my employees. Jonathan, come talk to my uh, family meeting. I want you to you know, teach people about all this kind of stuff. And it's great. So I've done these things one off. But in 2020, we built courses. And so I've started to do a lot more free education just to broaden it out there and get it to more people. Um, and so I think that education is key. And that is, I think, um, what I spend the most time doing today. I still work with clients. I still have like 100 clients that I work with face to face. But I like doing a, you know bigger presentations and a lot of public speaking around financial education, financial literacy. That's how we move the needle. So has your uh, your your courses have they started to to shift how your revenue is driven in your company? Actually, no. I'm not, and that's not really the intention. So the 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 way we've used the course, we've had probably I don't know two three thousand people have gone through some of the courses, and we've just given them away. Like we've said in a couple instances for like. Um, entrepreneurship groups, like I've hosted an event and kicked off the course and then showed people how to go through the course themselves. But in many instances, I've just, here's a link, here's 18 modules, have at it. And we see people kind of, you know, go through it. We haven't really had a lot of, because it's digital, I don't have to be there. And so I'm just giving people access to it, especially in my community here in Berkeley and Oakland and sort of Northern California. I've just given it away to any group of adults, uh, young adults, any group of uh, at least high school age students, college students, um, focused a lot on bridging the wealth gap, focused a lot on uh, people that are uh, maybe have run into some problems financially and sort of rebuilding. Uh, how, do we get, how do we get them some basic education and a basic launch set up so that they can improve their own stories? So why do you think financial literacy is, is a, uh, you know, you said to, to turn, turn it around, like to turn our country around and help sort of you know, train the next generation? Well, so I'd, I'd love it if, <laughs> I'd love it if we could turn the country around with it, but I, I'm just, I'm like one person at a time. Um, and you know, a really good example of this is like 2008, much of went into the, the meltdown that became the great recession, 2007, 2008, 2009, was just a lack of understanding how debt functions. It's a lack of understanding how leverage can turn against us. And, and yeah. it wasn't just, I mean, it was a lack of understanding up and down the wealth chain. So a lot of people that you know probably shouldn't have been able to buy their first home were able to buy the first home with a lot more debt and they used mortgages and not, not, not on them, not necessarily their fault, but mortgages were applied to them that were probably inappropriate, um, that were problematic. And if people had learned how to read the fine print or understood how debt worked, I think that the problem would have been a lot smaller than it was. Um, the interesting thing about that is uh, pretty much at every level of finance in that particular scenario, people made bad choices, whether it was the CEO of a company offering products, lending products, or whether it was you know, uh, the mortgage broker themselves who you know, saw a higher commission with this other thing, or the people valuing real estate saw that if they, if they did more and actually boosted the price of the real estate, hey, you know, guess what? I made a little bit more money because um, you know, more mortgage brokers would hire me to value more real estate. So, or it was the person borrowing for the second home or the third home or the fourth home or whatever at 120% you know, loan to value, right? So yeah. people up and down the chain made mistakes. 
Um, theoretically, we've changed a lot of the rules of that game, so that can't happen again. But there are some the basic incentives fundamental. Incentives were all messed up. Oh yeah, totally. But there's some basic fundamental decision making that if we know what we're doing, if we understand what we're embarking on, that we won't make the big mistakes. And the, my hope is, with a little education, we can help individuals for sure. But if we help a lot of individuals with some basic financial education, then I think we help you know the country. We help out you know the world. Yeah, absolutely. So. I want to talk about how you got into this space. We talk on this show about your origin story. Every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. And, um, you know, I just want to know, were you born a hero? Were you, you know, bit by a radioactive spider that made you want to get into financial education? Um, Or did you start in a job and eventually move over to become an entrepreneur? Yeah, I was, I wish, I wish I was bit by a radioactive spider. That's my favorite superhero. I love, I love that. Um, I was, I was actually raised in a household with a lot of love and, you know, a lot of belief in bettering, bettering yourself and having a better future, but very limited, you know, resources. So that's a nice way to say we were poor, but happy. Right. Um, So this backdrop made me put financial security as critical. And in fact, you know, we're now, what what is it now? We're we're 40 years later. uh, And I still am afraid of losing it all. I'm afraid that a drop of a hat, something can go wrong. So, so just because you finally made it doesn't mean that the fear goes away. It's really, it's really important to understand that the psychology remains, the psychology you develop as a kid remains. So at, you know, at nine years old, I was really interested in security and I was really interested in investing. And so when other kids were out playing with GI Joe and um, the Kung Fu battle grip, I was reading value line research and Kiplinger's and money magazine, trying to figure out how to invest and, and make a little bit of money. While other kids were, were, you know, going outside and riding their bikes, I was learning about business and, you know, running little micro enterprises and little endeavors to make a little bit of money. And I started investing, like I said, when I was nine. And so by the time I graduated from high school, I'm thinking about college, you know, I'm thinking finance for sure, right? Business finance, that's what I'm going to study. And I went into it and you know what? So boring. It was so boring after like doing it for 10 years and then to study it it was just i i hated it so i very quickly shifted to um, philosophy and religious studies had a couple great professors um uh gordon Britton, um uh, jim allard um marvin shaw uh and they were like hey jonathan you you love this stuff you love reading about the stuff you love you love writing about it you should continue studying in grad school so i i went to the graduate theological union to study at the um, Pacific Lutheran Theological Seminary. That's where I started. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to switch to an academic program. I'm not going to be a, I'm not going to be a, a pastor. I'm going to switch to an academic program. Um, and I was very curious about Buddhist studies. And so I started doing comparative religion between Christian and Buddhist studies, and then shifted more and more and more towards Buddhist studies for a few years. At which time my wife said, Jonathan, you've studied long enough. It's my turn to study. And she wanted to get her master's in education. So I said, all right, great. I dropped out and uh, got a job at Dean Witter. And uh, I spent five years at seven firms, learned a ton of lessons. And when I hate all these places, got to start my own. And in 20, sorry, 2001, started my own company. Amazing. It's amazing how similar our stories are too. I wasn't, I was nine years old when my, when my dad gave me a copy of Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Um, and I sort of became obsessed with how business worked. Um, I never really got into investing, but when I was 13, I started my first company that I, um, which lasted all of about six weeks, which is a fun story, but I, I convinced my dad to give me a loan for 50 bucks and a ride to the big box store um, and bought all the, you know, those big giant candy bars um, with 50 bucks. And I brought them to school and, you know, like the, uh, 
the the guy on the street corner in New York with his trench coat and his his uh, Rolex fake watches. I was selling my uh, candy bars out of my backpack on campus um, and sold about fifteen hundred dollars worth of candy over six weeks. Uh, before I was informed by the powers that be that um, I was not allowed to sell on campus without a business license and I was too young to have a business license so I had to close up shop I tell people I was shut down by the government at 13. Yep yep <laughs> I my, my story is the same I, mine was gum though you know I'd buy a, a pack of gum for 25 cents and you could sell a piece of gum for 25 cents and turns out you know all these years later my, my nephew was doing something similar so uh, it's still this lives on as an idea yeah yeah, it makes me happy. And, you know, and then I went to, uh, I went to college and studied theology and got a degree in preaching. Um, and then right before I was done, dropped out and uh, <laughs> um, started my own business. Um, and, you know, been going, going ever since. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's, that's, that's fun that we have a, a similar trajectory. I haven't met someone else who's like, yeah, I started doing business and then went to college to study the Bible and then, you know, dropped out and started business. <laughs> yeah, that's got to be rare. There's two of us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, over the course of, you know, building your career in finance, um, I want to talk about whether or not you have discovered your superpower, right? You know, what, whether that's a, you know, fancy flying suit or, you know, uh, you know, the, the ability to call down thunder from the sky or super strength, every hero has their superpower. Um, and what I, in the real world, I say that, you know, heroes have what I call a zone of genius, which is either a skill or a set of skills you were born with or you developed that really help you slay your clients' villains, right? Help them come on top in their journeys. And the way I like to frame it is if you look at all your skills, you probably have a common thread that ties all those skills together, right? It's that, that the thing that's, you know, tying everything together behind the scenes. And that is probably where you find your superpower. So that kind of framing, what do you think your superpower is in your business? Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about this and uh, I, I think that the, there's probably two. Uh, you know, I don't know if it's, it's you know, I leap the tall buildings and see through things. No, it's, it's, I'm, the first thing is I'm incredibly disciplined. My wife would say obsessive. You know, my my day has started for the last 25 years with almost the exact same morning routine, um, and that's pretty much true in all aspects of my life. Um, you know, the first four hours of my day are meditation, exercise, stretching, reading, writing, and that's been true for a long, long time. So the benefit of actually having these excellent routines is that I'm able to be present when things go haywire. You know, I had a coach that used to say. We systematize the ordinary so we can humanize the extraordinary. And so in my business, Good. it's unpredictable when the world's going to go crazy. I don't know when the next crazy thing is going to happen. So I have to be able to plant myself in the middle of the crazy when it occurs and be ready to, to combat whatever you know demons come up for my clients in that space. Um, and then the, the second thing is, I think I'm and this is really also very important in our business, right? I'm really, really good at identifying and ignoring noise. And there is a lot, lot, lot of noise in our industry. So, you know, sometimes I'll be talking to somebody and I'll realize that, you know, they're no longer curious about what we're discussing. You know, they've shifted from having a conversation to trying to convince me that they're right. You know, um, their, their minds are made up. Um, um, they've decided that they're right about something. And that's really, really important that I agree with them. And at this point, you know, I get put on my blank face and I, you know, nod my head and, and I just try to look for a way out of the conversation because it's, it's really, you can't learn some, but something from somebody that is just, you know, push, 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 push. Uh, and if, I want to stay open to this new thinking and I want to constantly find, you know, this noise is A, not real, B, not provable. Um, 
you know, how do we avoid this stuff? And there's a lot of it in our industry. So, so the ability to ignore that and help other people ignore it, you know, if you, I mean, put it, putting in context, the last eight years, we've seen two very, very, very contentious elections. One went one way, one went the other. Both periods of time, you know, there were people that were absolutely terrified on both sides of the aisle, terrified that it was the end of the world in both cases. And I, I just think that's the kind yeah, of the stuff. The sun that, came up after the, the next day in both cases. It did in both cases. And that's, I think that's pretty universal about how our system works. And we're going to, you know, I, can, I continue to have conversations on the same topic, but uh, it's mostly yeah. noise. What's, what's interesting to me, one of my good friends and mentors for a long time, he used to say, if Armageddon happens tomorrow, the sun will still rise. Yeah. Right. And the flowers will still bloom. Yeah. Um, and, and it was, um, it always struck me as a, a, an important thought, um, especially, you know, when we're dealing with things like global financial crises, you know, like in 2008, um, or, you know, I, I see a lot more of big bubbles growing now that look like at some point they're going to pop us. <laughs> and, you know, when, when the worst happens, you have to be able to realize, you know, honestly, whoever the president is doesn't make a big deal, a, big, a whole lot of difference on what you wake up and do in the morning. Right. Yeah. Um, yep. And we have, we have a, a lot of people who are terrified of, you know, who's in the office or what's going on. And really to your point, a lot of that's just noise because you get to control your own economy for a, a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the world. And it's, I mean, it's really, I think you said it, right. You control your own economy. It's not, it's never, it's never what the world does to us that really causes the damage or causes the, it's how we react and how we respond and how we think about it. Yeah. Um, and that, and I say that with, you know, I have to say it with, uh, uh, with a quick hedge and that there's some people where the world does happen to them and it does hurt them. And, and, you know, you can put a positive spin on it all you want and it doesn't really help them. And I, and I understand that. I don't want to dismiss that, but the vast majority of us that are college educated and living in, you know, the big cities or, or whatever, we're, we're pretty incredibly well off. And if we just have a mindset that's open to, hey, it's going to be okay. Not that it's going to be great, but hey, it'll be okay. It'll be okay. It's one of the things that uh, um, really struck me about traveling the US. Um, I was talking about my wife, this, my wife and my best friend about this for a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, we're, we're 42 states into seeing the whole country over the last five years. And I have, um, I, I had in my head before we started traveling, that when you travel to America, you're going to get to see all these different things and experience all these different things. And it was going to be like this epic adventure, which it has been. And we have gotten to see a lot of different things. But one of the things that has stuck out uh, more than anything else traveling the U.S. is how well off everyone in America is. It's like, doesn't matter where you go, what city you're in, there's always a Walmart within 45 minutes. There's always restaurants. There's always like, there, there's there's like this... I don't even know what you want to call it. There's like this subset of Americana that is everywhere. Yep. Um, and there's like a baseline level of living that happens all over the country, no matter where, where we've been. Um, and it almost makes you, it makes you proud to be an American. You're like, you go around, you're like, wow, we've done a really damn good job yeah. <laughs> at yep. building what we have here. And so to your point, for the most part, you know, the stuff that's happening, you know, the things that people are convinced are Armageddon, really not that big a deal. You just get out and start start doing, you know, taking control of your own economy. And, you know, very interestingly, you know, you, you can travel the United States and you get the sense of how well off we are. And to the extent that some middle class or some of the, some of the, you know, um, socioeconomically uh, challenged folks in the U.S. have suffered in the last 15 years, it's actually because we've been handing the, the baton to the global, to the global markets, right? And it's, yeah. <laughs> 
wow, there are people in South America, Africa, Eastern Europe, Asia that would dream of the stuff that, that we have access to in the poorest areas of our country. Uh, and it's, you know, so we have to just counter blessings. We really have to say, hey, we're really lucky that we're born in the United States, that we, you know, live where we live, that we have access to things we have access to. Um, counter blessings. What are you going to do with it? Yeah. What are you going to do with it? <laughs> what so, are you going to do know. with the, the stuff that you've been given? Yep. Um, and you know, what, what do you call it? It's the, uh, the chance of birth or whatever, right? We were, we were lucky enough to be born here and to grow up here and to be a part of what this American experiment has been. Um, that's, you know, that's why I have my backdrop up for my podcast. Cause I, I love what we have and the access to, to grow and expand our, our businesses and really be in control of our own lives. Um, which is, it's a rare thing, right? It's, it's not something that you can have everywhere in the world, but you have it here. Um, it's still, it's still also nice to be lucky. I mean, we did win yeah. the birth lottery and, and um, you know, I've been pretty lucky. Yeah. Yeah. It's still nice to be lucky. Right. Right. And it's, uh, um, and then, you know, we used to, uh, used to hear some of those things like, you know, there, there's this conversation going on nationally about privilege. And I was like, well, one of the biggest privileges we have is that we were born here. Yep. Right. Right. And we have, we have opportunity to, you know, to do things with that. Um, and so what do you do with it? And, you know, I've, I've built a couple of companies with mine <laughs> that's going pretty well. Um, and one of the reasons why we run this podcast is to find stories of people who are doing the same thing, right? What are you, what are you doing to grow and build your own economy and give your value to the world? Cause really that's what, that's what entrepreneurs do is they find out what their value is and they learn how to give it to other people. So. Absolutely. And then, and then their success can become significance for everyone around them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So if your superpowers are your, your discipline and, um, and on that's the one side of the coin, the other side of that coin is your fatal flaw, right? So the backside of any superpower is the, uh, is the kryptonite like Superman has, or the bracelets of victory that Wonder Woman can't remove without going mad. Um, I want to know if there's something that's held you back in the growth of your business, something you struggled with. For me, I had a couple, right? I struggled with um, self-care for a long time, which really let itself come out as uh, not having good relationships with my time or boundaries with clients um, and worked way too many hours and just about killed myself. <laughs> um, and also with, uh, I, I struggled with perfectionism for a long time where I was like, you know, I could just tweak it a little bit more, make it a little bit better before I ever brought it to market, which then of course, you're never bringing anything to market. So you're not doing anything. Right. Um, so, and I think, you know, sharing a little bit about what you have struggled with and especially how you work to overcome it can help our audience learn a little bit from your, uh, your mistakes. So your, your first one's actually a pretty big one, the, the uh, um, workaholicism, workaholism, right? I yeah. think I've, I definitely, for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, you know, I, I would put in extra hours all the time. And I, I used to say, I used to think, so something happened to me six months ago, um, my brother, my brother died. Uh, and so, so my brother was, he drowned in the, in the, in the Pacific ocean and it's created a lot of, um, questions for me. And so, uh, because achievement was so critical for me, I set that as a goal, you know, 50 years ago, 40 years ago, I'm only 50. So 40 years ago, I set achievement as a goal. And I put that pretty much as my number one goal. Every time, you know, every year I'd go through this process of, of, of values, purpose goals. Uh, and every year I'd come up with my six most important values and, and achievement was always right there on the top. And I think I focused, I think I actually, you know, after losing my brother and understanding some of the differences between him and myself, I think one of the things I'm coming around to is I put far too much emphasis on achievement. 
um, you can be wealthy and build great things and be unhappy. And the reality is your health, the relationships with the people around you, um, all of these things are the things that the generosity, uh, continuously lifelong learning, curiosity, these are the things that actually make a life worth living. Um, and so I know tons of people that are very, 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 very well off and unhappy. And that's because the focus is the wrong thing. And so, you know, you got to make sure at the very beginning, and I think this was one of the things, my fatal flaw at the outset was because I didn't have, well, I, I'm trying to attribute it to something else, not myself, right? So it's so easy. It's so important to us to not be the fault, to not, to the, that the yeah. flaw isn't ours, right? Um, so I was raised with very little so that I, I wanted. And because I wanted, I sent achievement and having as my goal. And what I learned was I got, and I was still not entirely happy. And so I learned that there's other things. And my brother was really good at his relationships and really good uh, at some other things that, that um, I'm now more focused on than I was. So achievement is probably fourth on the list. It's been first for much of my life and it's probably now fourth or fifth on my list. Well, first off, I'm sorry for your loss. That's really tough. Um, I, I couldn't imagine losing my brother. He's a, he's a great human being. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. And I, I had a, a scare with him a number of years ago when he got a motorcycle accident and got a phone call when I was 2,500 miles away and he was in critical care and just about ruined me in an afternoon. I was like, so I haven't been where you've been, but I've, I felt the scare. Um, <laughs> so anyways, I'm, I'm sorry for your loss and I hope you uh, are, are doing well. Um, but on the other side of that, the, the, the idea that achievement is something that we strive for. I remember being there. I, I, I mentioned that before when I started, you know, the, my lack of self-care is what I called it. Um, and it, when I was a younger entrepreneur, I remember thinking to myself, I had a monetary goal in mind. I want to make this much money. Mm -hmm. Right. And I thought that every waking moment of my life needed to be pointed towards that goal or I would never achieve it. Um, and so, um, and I, I was just sort of of the opinion that like, you know, people are like, you know, work harder, not, or work smarter, not harder. And I was like, well, what if I just do both? I just work smart all the time. <laughs> and, um, and you find out if you try that too long, um, you can make yourself sick and throwing up in the bushes and that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the other thing that I, I learned was, um, a couple of things. I could not get anywhere because I was always tired and not focused. Um, and the other thing is I was missing out on things that I really actually cared about. Right. Um, which was like my wife and my son at the time, I got four kids now, but it was just one back then. Um, and I read a, um, read a book that was talking about putting um, how creativity thrives with, um, with boundaries. Hmm. And so, you know, we talk about that and all sorts of things, right? You talk about photography or videography, something like that. Your boundary is that frame, right? Or your painting is the canvas and creativity always thrives with boundaries. So I started looking at how can I put boundaries on my time working on my business um, and started looking at, um, you know, instead of working eight to 12 hours a day, six, seven days a week, what if I only worked five days a week? And what if I only worked eight hours a day? And what if I only worked six hours a day? What if I only worked four days a week? Um, and what I found was that the more restrictions I put on my time with my business, the more productive I got, the more money I made. Um, and I learned other things on the way up too, that I hit my income goal. And I was like, actually, I don't need that much money, um, whatever it is, because there's like, I, I have other things that interest me more as why we travel full-time with our kids. 
Um, and uh, there's things that I enjoy more than whatever the financial goal that I had. Um, and when I shifted the goal from here's the money I want my business to make to here's the value I want my business to give, I, sur- I surpassed those goals, <laughs> right? Yep. Um, so it's interesting how it's all backwards from what I thought, right? Yep. I thought I was working smart and hard and I wasn't doing either. Um, <laughs> and I thought I was working for, you know, if I tried hard enough, I could hit an income goal and you find out that, you know, really when you start focusing on how do I value, when I put my values in the right order and then when I start focusing on my business on the value it can give, the income came as a result and the lifestyle came as a result. Um, so it, it was a paradigm shift for me to learn how to adjust my values to things that made more sense. Have you, uh, have you read Bob Berg's The Go-Giver? I have not. That's a book you'll enjoy. Yeah, uh, I'll have to uh, put it on my, my Audible list. My, my son and I have an agreement. He gets, a, uh, um, he gets an Audible subscription every year for Christmas. Um, and he's allowed to spend, he gets credit every month. And I was like, you know, he books, he wants every other month, but on, you know, every, every off month, he has to, to buy a book from, you know, to, to help grow his mind. And so oh, I, awesome. I always, I always give him like, when I get recommendations like that, we just stick it on his list because we share the audible account. I listen to the books too. <laughs> Great. Yeah. That's a good idea. Uh, you, yeah. you probably want him as on as a guest at some point as well. We just, uh, we interviewed him a little while ago. It's pretty good. He's a good guest. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, the, uh, the, the fatal flaw with self-care has been something that, man, I, I can't even describe how much my life has changed to that point. And, you know, I remember, remember all those years ago, I was struggling to run one company well enough to actually pay our bills. And now on a third to a quarter of the amount of time, I run two companies <laughs> and travel, right? Yeah. Because it's, it really forces you to focus on what's actually important and what actually is going to move the needle for what's, you know, getting stuff off of your plate that shouldn't be there. Um, totally. And there's so many tools that allow you to, um, you know, outsource this, outsource that, get this done, have someone else manage this. And by, by doing, yeah. using those tools, you can actually cut down your time spent. I'm just learning about those. So, uh, you know, I've, I've spent way too many hours doing it manually or, or, uh, you know, working with people in the office and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's admirable when you can actually cut your time down and uh, it works. No question. Yeah. Yeah. It works. And, and then the other thing that it does is when, man, when you, when you spend all day playing with your kids and you're like, man, I got to go sit down and get something to work. You show up alive. Yeah. Right. Cause um, when you show up alive to work on creative problems, you get better results. Yep. So, um, and a lot of that comes from just figuring out what it is that you actually want to do, what you want to accomplish in your life. Right. What's important. Put yeah. those things in the right space. <laughs> Start with what's important. You can't go wrong. Yeah. So I want to switch then and talk about your common enemy. And this is in context of your clients, right? But every superhero has an arch nemesis, right? It's the thing that they fight against in their world. Um, takes a lot of forms. But um, again, we will put this in context of your clients. And it's a mindset or it's a flaw that every time you get on the phone with someone or whatever, however you deliver your value, right? It's a mindset or flaw that you have to fight to overcome. So you can actually get that person the result that they came to you for. Um, and what, what do you think that arch nemesis is in the financial education space? So do you know, uh, have you watched um, David Foster Wallace's um, uh, Kenyan college speech from 2005, uh, This is Water? I have not. Well, you got to put that on your list. Anyway, so, so he, he tells a story uh, about these two fish swimming through the water and the older, wiser fish comes swimming towards them and says, hey, boys, how's the water? You know, they all swim off in their own directions. And after a little while, one of the little fish turns the other little fish and says, what the hell is water, right? So 
the, the idea is there's the, um, the truths that we're always swimming in that we just don't recognize. And so what I, what I think is really important about that, and this is, this is the common enemy, right? I think we're all swimming in this soup of financial success. And if you go to social media, it's everywhere. No one talks about the difficulty. Well, some people talk about the difficulty on, on social media. Most people talk about the new car, the trip, the, you know, the kids going to the private school. They talk about, you know, all the positive things. Remember when it first, when social media first kicked off Facebook, I believe it was, everyone took pictures of their great meals they had, right? And then put it up on Facebook. I hey, look at this great meal, right? Look at how much fun I'm having. Look at how great my life is, right? So, so there's a, there's a nugget in financial world that says, and this is the soup, right? This we're always, we're all swimming in the same false common knowledge. Uh, and that is investment selection and market timing are the things that determine great investors. So people are constantly, markets. say again? You can't time markets. You can't see the can't. future. You can't. And, and, and there's, a, there's a warning. There's a warning label on investments. You know, past performance is no guarantee of future results. Um, mm -hmm. And it's funny because that warning label, I think, has, has gone cross purposes. I think that the warning label makes people more interested in performance. I don't, think it's, I don't think it has served the purpose it's supposed to serve. The reality is, mathematically, it's been proven that if you have somebody, a manager or an index or a sector or something that's done really well in one period of time, the next period of time, it's equally likely it does well versus it does poorly. I mean, it's the, the research shows that if you look at managers for a three-year period and look at them and say, you take the top 25% of all managers in a three-year period, and you look at the next three-year period, they are equally distributed between the top quartile, the second quartile, the third quartile, and the fourth quartile. And they've done this research over and over and over and over. And they've used quartiles, they've used deciles. What we've learned is past performance has no is has nothing whatsoever to do no bearing. with your results no bearing at all right so when we think about investment selection and market timing which is when somebody calls me up and says hey Jonathan I'm thinking about you know hiring an advisor tell me about your performance everyone asks that question everyone wonders and i can go through on this whole conversation about hey it doesn't i could show you some performance it wouldn't mean anything and they still want to know about the performance they still want to know you know, how am I going to do based on how I would have done? And it doesn't work. Um, so, so battling that, this idea that uh, timing and selection matters, that's the big thing that we have to battle more than anything else. Where education and planning can make a difference, people aren't as interested in education and planning. They really want someone that can pick the best stock and pick it right now or now or now or in market time. And it doesn't, you can't, you can't get anywhere with that. <clears throat> So I have an idea of how I would answer this question, but I want to know from you, if market timing and selection are not what matter, what does? It's, it's time in, not timing, right? So we, we operate with um, um, sort of three fundamental practices, uh, and they are the same three I've operated with for 25 years. Uh, they are um, plan-appropriate asset allocation, meaning you divide your assets up between equities, fixed income, and cash. And equities could be, you know, equity in real estate. It could be your private business. It could be, you know, owning stocks, you know, uh, uh, small shares of, of companies around the world. You know, bonds could be your lending on real estate. It could be your, your, your buying bonds. It could be your buying CDs. You're buying, you know, something that's fixed income. And cash is what it sounds like, cash. So the equity 
pays the biggest chunk, has the most volatility. Bonds keeps up with inflation, doesn't do a lot else. Um, and now it's a question whether it can do that or not. And then cash doesn't even keep up with inflation, but it never goes up or down in value, right? So, so if you want returns, you want more of this stuff over here, the equity piece, right? And so the first thing, uh, plan appropriate asset allocation. Got to have your liquidity in things that aren't volatile. You want to have things that are volatile because that's where you get your return. Plan appropriate asset allocation. Second thing, diversification. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. And I, you know, some people say, hey, the Dow 30 is diversified. I disagree. Some people say the S&P 500 is diversified. I disagree. I think you want to look at something like the all country world index. I think you want to be global. I think you want to be big companies and small companies. I think you want to be all over the planet. I think you want to be in every sector and every industry. And that way, the thing that you're investing in isn't companies. It's in global consumption. You're, you're, you're investing in people who want to improve their lives, who want new shoes, new pants, want to start businesses, want to put solar panels on their house, you know, want to invest in water projects in Africa, want people who want to do things and improve things for themselves, their families, their communities, the world. Um, that's what you're investing in if you invest in all of it in a diversified way. And then the third thing is because no matter what you do, something in your portfolio is going to do, do better than something else in your portfolio. So on a very regular basis, maybe it's once a year, maybe it's at a 20% at a dislocation, you rebalance and you don't overthink it. You don't say, you know what? I don't like emerging markets right now. I'm gonna stick in the United States. And you don't say, you know what? I don't like little companies right now. I'm gonna just buy big companies. And you don't say, you know, I'm not gonna lend to banks right now because I don't trust banks. I'm only gonna lend to car dealerships. Like it, you just own it all. Uh, and then by owning it all, you are less likely to make mistakes. You are less likely to be pulled astray by your own biases, by your own um, uh, emotional content. Uh, you own it all and you rebalance when the, thing, when the thing that's doing really well, you sell a little bit of that thing and buy the thing that's not doing as well today because it all reverts to the mean anyways. That's the three yeah, basic so, core things. So you're, uh, you're uh, when you're taking profits off of the stuff that's doing well and reinvesting it into stuff that's at a discount right now. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So the, the way I was going to answer the question um, is, is what's important is something that I had, a, I had a mentor tell me as a young business person, like really young, I was like 13 or 14 and it's always stuck with me. And he said that um, money loves speed, but wealth loves time. Yep. Well said. Um, and it's always stuck with me because, um, and, and it wasn't until, I don't know, a number of years ago that I was, I was talking to a friend of mine who invests in commercial real estate and he was talking about when he buys and sells projects and like, he's like, he's got this project and it's cash flowing. Like, I don't know, crazy, like $20,000 a month kind of cash flow. Um, and he's like, I'm selling it. And, and I was like, why would you give up $20,000 cash flow right now? Um, and he was like, because they're going to give me, you know, what is it? Four and a half million dollars for the project. Right. When they buy it, I don't know what it was. Right. That's I'm just pulling those numbers out of my butt. But anyways, he, he, he was like, and, and then he explained to me, the same concept of the money loves speed, but wealth loves time. He's like, if I take that $4 million today, right? How long does it take me to make $4 million from the $20,000 a month cash flow? right? It's X number of years. Um, and he was like, I can take that capital right now and put it into four other projects right now. And now instead of $20,000 cash flow, I'm creating $100,000 in cash flow. And it was the first time it really clicked what I had learned all those years before, what it means by money loves speed, but wealth loves time. Right. He's like, because because what you do is you continue to build that those cash flow positions 
Um, but when you can, you take the profits and you move them fast into other things. Yep. Um, so anyways, it's, that's, that's a, the concept I've learned on what, what actually is important is how do you spend time in the market? That's the time, what wealth loves time. And then how do you move stuff when it makes sense to? I, I think that, I think that the, um, the, the world of real estate is a much more active world. You know, uh, I realize that people say real estate is a passive, is some, and it can be a passive investment, but I've invested in real estate my whole life and I've, I've never been able to be passive. <laughs> yeah, it's, not a, it's not a passive I've investment. Always, I've always gotten phone calls. <laughs> so, um, but, but, you know, most of the people I work with, you know, they, they don't have the $4 million uh, or most people I'm trying to educate now, you know, clients all have that and they do have uh, the real estate and stocks and bonds and the whole bit. Um, but people that are just starting out. It's like, how do you how do you make it so that money takes a smaller um, fewer cycles? How do you do it so so you can actually earn more? You can improve yourself. You can get the raise. You can you can you can create better outcomes on the income on your on your P and L personal P and L balance sheet will follow. I mean, balance sheet will come. But right now, just start earning more, saving more, setting it aside until you get that opportunity for a piece of real estate, or you can invest in shares of companies, or you can invest in your own business that you've, you've been thinking about. Um, yeah. uh, and, and, and it's great when you have, you know, $4 million you can put to work uh, and buy the four buildings and expand the, the income that way. That's awesome. You know, good on you and, and, and good on your friend. That's fantastic. But I really want to, how, how do we bring people up that aren't, you know, aren't experiencing that opportunity? How do we give them the opportunity? Well, it starts much smaller. Uh, and that's where, you know, that's where the education and that uh, some planning comes in. Yeah, yeah, and one of the things that I've always struggled with financial with financial education is helping um, people understand how important investing in your own skill sets are. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Um, because because people are like, where where like I don't have I don't have the money to invest in this or that or the other thing. I'm like, invest in your skill set, yep. right? Whatever that is, because if you invest in your skills, then you can bring your value to bear on something else. You'll get compensated for that. That's how you get. The money in the first place to invest in other things is by, you know, another friend of mine says you skill up. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And every time there's a dislocation markets, the world goes crazy, like pandemic hit, you know, what, what did you do? Did you, did you double down on Netflix or did you double down, double down on Khan Academy? Uh, and if you double down on Khan Academy and you, you know, improved your math skills, your coding skills, or, you know, I'm sure you can find plumbing skills, like what, whatever the thing is, Khan Academy has videos to help you improve on it. So um, to the extent you can do that, yeah, you, you come back to the market and you're worth more. And when you're worth more, you save more. When you save more, you've got more to invest. That's the basic beginning treadmill. Yeah, yeah, which has always struck me as one of my my favorite. It is contentious nowadays, but people are like, you know, how do you, um, you know, get a raise? And I'm like, if you want to get a raise, you don't just ask your boss for a raise. You show them how you can bring more value to their company, which is politically that's not a happy thing to say nowadays because well, and, and you, don't, you don't have to say that right now i mean not now i mean that's i think that's always true but now it's a we have a very today we have a very unique world and where people are basically writing their own tickets you, you don't you don't want to ask your boss go find a job someplace else i mean there are I, in my industry my in my office we we have three open positions we we've been trying to fill these positions for um a year like we can't find people and they're, they're not like low paying positions. It's like, there's, there's, there's opportunity now. Um, so get out there, like uh, yeah. ask your boss, don't ask your boss, ask somebody else, find a different job, you know, skill Do whatever up. you want. Yeah. We've Ooh. been having a, we've been having a terrible time trying to get positions filled. Um, yeah. Yep. And so, and you know, offer good money. It doesn't matter. People don't show up. Um, it's really interesting. 
never seen anything like it, but you know, I haven't been in the market that long. So <laughs> keep, keep moving forward. You'll do, do a little yeah. bit of yourself, find people when you can actually poach them from other places. That's a, I mean, one of the greatest, one of the greatest hires I ever, I ever had was somebody that we, we, we hired out of another company, right? Just great service, great experience, great and not unrelated industry, like great service, great experience, wonderful person, great attitude. Hey, you ever thought about working in a financial planning office? No. Well, you should. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's we got our customer service person that way. Yeah. Um, she's wonderful. <laughs> um, so the flip side of your common enemy, of course, yeah. would be your driving force, right? So if your common enemy is what you fight against, your driving force is what you fight for. So just like Spider-Man fights to save New York or Batman fights to save Gotham or, you know, Google fights to index and categorize all the world's information. I want to know what your mission is. What is it you guys fight for at your company? Yeah, so, so you know, if, if the enemy is investment selection and market timing, you know, uh, the opposite side of that is we are goal-focused and planning-driven. Um, it means the decision we make are the ones we make up front, not the ones we make ongoing. The trade-offs we make, we make in a planning process, not whether we're buying Tesla or Bitcoin or Ford. Like that's, that is a meaningless decision that, we've, that, that we know doesn't work. So the decisions we make as investors is actually... What do we want to accomplish? What is our time frame for accomplishing those things? What do we have to do between here and there to make sure they get accomplished? And so to do that, we focus on individual goals and we focus on um, planning. And so to get to those, education and planning are the things that lead to the better outcomes uh, for normal people. Uh, you know, I'm sure that there are hedge fund managers that would disagree with me. I'm sure that there are active managers that would disagree with me, but we're talking about normal people in a normal environment the more you can focus on, this is what I want to have accomplished. I want to retire at this state. I want to send my kids to this school. I want to have this kind of vacation. I want to drive this kind of car. I want to do this kind of good work in my community. The more you can get really concrete about those things and then think about and design the path, the plan to get from here to there and just do the things that you know will get you there. You don't have to think about the other stuff. The other stuff is that noise we talked about earlier and you need to ignore the noise. So there's a couple of things I want to comment on, on that. So one of them is just how well that works. Cause I've done it myself. Um, if we go back 12 years ago, uh, my son was just born um, and my wife and I sat down and we built a, essentially what's a vision board. Right. And we had it up on our wall and had little pictures cut out of all the things we wanted to do with our life. We actually designed the life we wanted to have. Um, and you fast forward 10 years and we've hit every single goal on that board without fail, all of them. Um, and had to, you know, build a new vision board, right? That kind of thing. So we hit everything, um, which is, which is crazy, right? Because you're like, we just, we planned it and then we did those things. We started with the end in mind and got, got what we wanted to get. Um, and all the way down to the type of knives we use in our kitchen, right? It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, very specific. <laughs> it was, I mean, we, we had specific things. Uh, it was like, we, and we were like broke, like so broke, like the kind of broke, like we fed our son and then had peanut butter and crackers for ourselves kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's amazing what you can do if you focus for 10 years. Yeah. yeah. And, that, and that's, but that, oh, that's really important though. Right. You can't, you can't, you can't design the plan and then start following the plan. And four months from now, it's not working out, you know, throwing the towel. It's, you gotta, you gotta recognize that this is a slow process. You've got a long, a long time ahead of you take the small steps today, you know, reward the little things. Don't just shoot for the, the big things. You know, there's, there's, when we, we talk about, um, you know, uh, values, purpose goals, 
So by the time I get to through my values, my purpose and get to the uh, setting of my goals, my goals are where do I want to be in 10 years? But if I'm going to be there in 10 years, then where do I need to be in five years? And if I want to be there in five years, where do I need to be in three years and then one year and then six months and then one month? And what am I doing this week so I can make sure all of those things happen? I line those things up. And if you can see the incremental things you do today and how they're additive to the long-term 10-year goals, I think that's huge. And I think that's where most people, they can't continue for 10 years because they have, oh, I want to do this 10 years from now, but they haven't built the they haven't built the things they can reward today. If they do the $10 in the 401k or they do the you know, two videos on Khan Academy or they do the whatever the thing is that they can get a little bit better today, they reward that and they oh, well, I want to do more of this, right? You can, you can, oh, I got a little bit further. I got a little further. I got a little close, closer to my goal. I did my one step towards my goal. If you just set out 10 years, mm, it's kind of far away. You need something to that's, that's one of the uh, one of the reasons why we had the vision board the way we did, and it, like it was specific all the way down to like we want to buy those knives because when we could afford the knives, we bought them. Right, we've yeah. had them for five years, right? <laughs> and um, and it's they're they're the little things. Um, and I had I had someone tell me a number of years ago that if it's worth doing, it's worth doing for the next ten years of your life. Um, and it's it's interesting to think that way, right? Because it allows you to focus long term, but also realize that you've got time, right? Yeah. And I remember when I was young and I was putting in the 10, 12 hour days, the thought was I didn't have enough time, right? I need to be successful tomorrow. Yep. Um, and then you try to get a whole bunch of things done and none of them are done well, none of them are done well. But when, you, when you're like, I'm, I'm gonna do this for 10 years, then you realize that I don't have to do everything today. I just need to do one thing and I need to do it well, yep. right? And one of my things that I do now is I focus on something I call micro completions. Yep. Um, and micro completions are like, hey, today is like, I don't need to accomplish 100 things today. I don't need to accomplish six things. I don't need to accomplish five. I, I just just one thing that I can take from start to finish in my business. And that's it. Whether that's helping a client on board or writing, you know, the first paragraph in an article that we're doing for marketing piece doesn't matter. It's just one thing that I can take from start to finish. And if you complete one thing every day for 10 years, you can go from a nobody to world class, yep. which is like that's not just a guess it's something i've done right in my markets in my in my community in my group of people that i'm in i'm one of the best in the world right and that happens because of getting a little bit better every day yep yep no doubt about it incremental so, what's that called kaizen it's uh it's the kaizen yeah. is just incremental improvement yep and incremental improvement or uh what is it the richest man in babylon talks about that as well yep. Yep. um but yeah the the other thing that i that struck me about what you said was um about doing, doing the right things on a regular basis, um, the planning and goals. And it, it reminded me of, uh, of The Last Samurai. Have you ever seen that with Tom Cruise? Oh, I love it. I'm trying to get my son to watch it with me right now. Uh, he's like, no, he's 17. He's, he's, too, he's too cool for it. <laughs> he's too cool for it. It's such a great movie. But my, my favorite line from that movie is when he's fighting and he's getting his, his rear end handed to him by the other swordsman. And the guy on the sideline says, too many mind, too many yep. mind, too right? Yep. Too many mind. Um, and it's because when you actually have to show up and perform, you want, you want the distance between the stimulus and the response to be minuscule, yep. right? And that comes in the financial space, just like anything else, right? If you want to perform on the basketball field or with the samurai sword or become world-class in your space, it's the practice ahead of time. Yep. And when you're talking about your decisions for your financial space, you know, just to, to ground it for people if you're doing day trading or something like that and you're like hey i'm just going to try and time the markets it's not going to work but if you go what i'm going to do is i'm going to put in ten dollars when it goes up two percent i'm going to sell it right you've planned that it's not an emotional decision it's a thing that you're just going to do 
And when you do that over and over and over again, so I can uh, recommend against that though. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know that's Jack a, about that's day a bad trading. example. I don't know. I don't know anything about day trading. But you know, the, the idea is that you're just you're making you're you're making decisions based on stuff that you've pre-planned, not on yep. the emotions of yep. the moment. Exactly. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. Not, like I said, I don't know anything about investing. In that I don't do that. Right? I've, I'm still in the phase of my life where I'm working on building my companies that will eventually have cash flow to drive into other investments. We'll get there eventually. But you get there. You'll get yeah. there. Um. So. But yeah, it comes down to that idea that you you're building you're building your practice and your goals now. So when you're on the court making the decisions, you're not making them in the moment. You're making them based on what you've already pre-planned. Yeah, it's like muscle memory at that point. Muscle memory. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that uh, that wraps up our our driving force. I want to talk about some practical things. Um, shift gears a little bit and talk about your hero's tool belt, right? And just like every superhero has their um, tool belt full of gadgets like, uh, you know, their laser eyes or web slingers or their big magical hammer they can spin around and fly across the world with. Um, I'm going to talk about the top one or two tools that you couldn't live without in your business. Could be anything from your notepad to your calendar to your marketing tools, something you use for product delivery, um, anything you think is essential to getting your job done on a daily basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, for, so first off, I want to say that you're Except for one, your your examples almost all come from Marvel. I think we need a little bit more DC uh, universe. In there, okay, uh, <laughs> so there's, I mean, there's a couple things, right? The first thing you like Marvel better than DC, so it's it's of course they do, of course they do. But uh, but but uh, uh, what is it? Uh, Batman and Superman are, are DC. Like that's that's true. Anyway, uh, neither here nor there. So first thing is you know, and this is something that I've done. You know, I talked about my four hour routine in the morning read, read everything, um, read constantly, read every day, read, 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 read. I think, you know, my, I read economics, I read art history, I read philosophy, I read religious studies, you know, I read uh, commentary, commentary on culture, I read newspapers, I read news articles, I read books, I read, 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 read. If you want to become a better you, read. Um, reading gives the opportunity to learn things. It gives you opportunity to experiencing things that, that you won't have the opportunity to do in any other environment. Um, it lets you, it lets you develop empathy for other people. It lets you develop creativity. It lets you understand how people communicate with each other. It, the reading is, I think the most important thing that people can do to improve themselves. Um, and then, uh, and that, and read broadly, read people that disagree with you, read people that are specifically making arguments that you hate, um, read, that's the first thing. Uh, and I think that anyone that reads every single day, they will, they cannot fail, but improve themselves and improve their situation. Um, second thing is, you know, the tool, the tool that I use for that is I use, uh, God, I use a newsreader and I'm, right now I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the newsreader. Uh, but I mean, I, I, I highly recommend just an app on your phone or an app in a, in, on an iPad that, that will do two things. Allow you to highlight uh, something that you like and categorize it as something that you like, but also allow you to highlight something that you disagree with and allow you to categorize it as something you disagree with um, so that it will pull in to that folder these things that are difficult for you to um, defend against. The, the people that are making the good arguments that you don't wanna hear um, uh, and so you, you're reading both sides. And if you have a newsreader, you can actually separate the two out. 
you know, this, this newsreader mm, stuff that I generally agree with. I generally like I generally, cause you're going to go, that's a natural, you're going to go there anyways. Uh, this newsreader I'm specifically setting up to bring to me arguments that I don't like, that I disagree with, that I think are stupid, that, are, that come from the other side of the aisle, that whatever, because if you can't make those arguments, you're going to, you're always going to be filled with vengeance and, and dislike and hate, and it's not going to be beneficial for you. You've got to be able to argue both sides and you've got to be able to, um, uh, defend your own position uh, always. So uh, the only way to do that is by actually understanding what they're saying. So so a newsreader, I think, is critical. I just discovered this other one, and I want to share it. Um, have you heard of Notion? I have heard of Notion. I love Notion. Uh, uh, and It's like and your own personal database. It's so incredible. And there's there's this, um, somebody introduced me to the the PARA method, which is um, it's a it's a it's a universal method for organizing digital information. Uh, it's produced, I think, by Forte Labs, Para P A R A. Um, it's uh, it's such an incredible way. So so Notion gives you the database. Yeah. Para gives you a way to gives you a face to put on top of it. Organize it. Yeah, yeah. It gives you a structure that you can use the database in, and it's those two together. I'm just implementing it myself, and I've used I've used you know so many different tools for project management and, and so many different tools for, for, for digital content uh, arrangement. And I, I'm so excited to use these two things together. I think it's going to change my life. Yeah. You are the second person I've heard that from in the last couple of weeks. Para or both? Uh, specifically Notion, Notion with a UI on top of it. Um, yeah. So he had a different one, but it's similar kind of thing where it's like an operating system for your life that you could use Notion's database as the back end for. Yep. Simplify, simplify, simplify. So awesome. Notion is powerful. I love that. I love it. Love it. Love it. Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause like by itself, Notion is intimidating, right? Cause it's just like an open-ended database and yep. it's not until you start looking at like the, the, I, I don't know what other to call them other than like the operating system you put on top of the thing, yeah. like the para that you're talking about. And I can't remember the other one that my friend mentioned. Um, but he was like, I couldn't figure out Notion by itself until I got this thing to go on top of it. And I was like, I had the same experience where like I got into Notion. I was like, I don't, I don't know what to do with this. Cause you're just, it's literally, it's just a blank canvas database, um, which means you can do whatever the F you want with it, which is right. cool. Right. Right. <laughs> um, and there's, I mean, I used to, I used to like email myself, like every little note, I just emailed to myself and then I would put it in my email, you know, structure. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's truly old school and not a very good way to do it. Um, but now I'm, I'm so excited to actually have something that, that is, more active, more accessible, more useful, you know, searchable. Um, you can, I mean, you can use a notion page and link to it and share the content with people. There's just, there's so, so many possibilities that are, uh, that are there. And I'm sure that there's other apps that I just didn't know about that were, that were equally helpful. Notion's what I'm going to go with for sure. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and I, I wanted to comment a little bit on the reading everywhere, including the other side of the aisle and to tell you a brief story that fits right into that, that I thought was fun. Um, so, you know, we, we, we both went to um, seminary and one of the things that we did in seminary was we did um, religious studies, right, which was, um, you know, essentially studying all the other world religions um, and not just a little bit either, like in depth, like read their scripture, read everything there was about them, their common arguments they bring up and everything like, you know, I like did that every semester for four years and with all the major world religions um, and so generally speaking, um, I know more about your religion than the average practitioner. Yep. Right. And that's just, this is cause I studied it for as long as we did, um, and as in depth as we did. And I remember my, my favorite experience with that. I had, um, the, you know, the local Mormon boys who come and knock on your door 
Um, mm -hmm. And yeah. me and my best friend were sharing a house at the time and we'd both just gotten married and we were like splitting the house. They had the top and we had the bottom. And so they came, came to the door and we were like, yeah, we'd like, to, uh, and we just like, sure, we invited them in, <laughs> like, come in, talk to us. Um, and because they wanted to convert us to Mormonism. Um, and, and we basically, we sat them down and we we're, and we're sat, sat around the table with them and we're like, totally cool. We will absolutely discuss anything you want to discuss. We've got two rules. Rule number one is that the whole purpose of this is just to search for the truth. And if we find the truth, whoever, like wherever the truth is, we'll just align our lives with that. Like, do you guys agree with that? And they were like, yeah, absolutely. Cause why not? Um, and they came over every Saturday or every, every week for like six weeks. Um, and the, the, um, our wives made them food and we had dinner like every week for six weeks. And on the seventh week, um, the local, I guess, Bishop came mm. over and informed us that our house was put on a black mark and we would no longer be getting visited by the Mormons because they had to send our, Mormon boys back to their re-education camps. Nice. Uh, which cracked me up. And the reason that happened is because we knew all of their arguments better than they did. Wow. Yeah. yeah right. Because we yep. we studied, studied it. it. Yeah. Um, right. We studied everything that they knew. Um, and they didn't, right? They didn't actually know what they thought they knew. Right. Um, so it, you know, it when you when you actually study the other side, even the things you don't agree with, and you can argue their points better than they can. Yep. It is significantly easier to sit down around the table and have a discussion about what the actual truth is. <laughs> I mean, I think the challenge is you also, you also have to be authentic yourself. Like yeah. you have to be open to whatever they do bring out, right? But if you've already studied it and you know what they're going to do, absolutely. Yeah, and, and to that point, you have to have that honesty where you're willing to be like, hey, if I'm wrong here and you can yeah. show that to me, I am absolutely willing to change my life based on that truth, yep. right? right? Wherever that is. Um, and that's the whole point of being authentic. Yep. Um, is that, that you line yourself up with what you know to be true. Yep. So anyways, yeah. I thought that, that was, that was a, an interesting story to line up with that. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. It's a good example. Good example. Uh, and now a quick word from our show's sponsor. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. And now back to the hero show. So a couple more questions for you. We talk a little bit about your own personal heroes, right? Every hero has their mentors. You know, Frodo has, uh, you know, has Gandalf and Luke has Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, you know, even Spider-Man has his uncle Ben. Um, or Robert Kiyosaki had his rich dad. And I want to know, 
who were some of your heroes? Were they real life mentors, speakers, authors, maybe peers who are a couple of years ahead of you? And how important were they to what you have accomplished so far in your life? Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, my history is littered with people that have had an effect, positive effect. Um, I guess my first, men my first mentor, my first hero is probably my dad. I think that you, you probably hear that often whenever you ask that question. Yeah. Uh, or or my, one of my parents, right? My dad is uh, definitely um, my first hero. Uh, um, you know, and then after that, like college professors, you know, I mentioned Marvin Shaw earlier. He was the one who was like my primary religious studies teacher in undergrad. And so he was the one that really sort of suggested, hey, you know, you, you, you have a, um, you have a skill in reading and writing and sort of digesting some of the stuff and, and, and making good arguments. And so I think you'd like to study this further. So he was the one that sort of got me to apply to these graduate schools, which was uh, really important for my life and on my becoming who I, who I wanted to be a better person, all that kind of stuff. Um, while I was there, I met uh, Stephen Goodman, who he died a couple of years ago. He was the, he was instrumental in my developing my meditation practice. And he, was, he wasn't a meditation teacher so much as he was, he was so well-versed in pop culture and Buddhist philosophy. And, and man, he, he could tell you a story that came from just anywhere. He was just, he read everything, an incredible human being. But uh, I was having a hard time meditating. I couldn't sit for more than like 10 seconds. Like I'd get up and go do something else. Like I just couldn't do it. My mind was racing. And, and he just sort of said, hey, you know, you'll waver until you stop wavering. Uh, and that gave me permission to not beat myself up for, for not being able to sit still for very long. And sooner or later, I was going two minutes and three minutes and five minutes and 10 minutes. And I could sit for 20 minutes. And, and that's, you know, that's Stephen Goodman. That's, uh, that, was, that was him. And then when I first entered in the industry, uh, uh, the first speaker I saw in the financial services world was Nick Murray. Um, any, any sort of young advisor out there uh, and I meet a lot of them these days that have never heard Nick Murray, never read Nick Murray. And it just blows me away. He is like his philosophies and his, you know, I'll call them teachings um, were critical to my developing my practice, to how I service clients, to, um, you know, how I build trust to, you know, the kinds of things I say. Um, Nick Murray was an incredible, he's kind of, he's kind of out there a little bit, um, but you know, in terms of how to, uh, how to manage a business and how to be a financial advisor, he was incredible. Um, about seven, eight years ago, I'll give you one more. Seven or eight years ago, I started wanting to write more and speak more and get out there. And I started reading uh, Stephen Pressfield. And Stephen Pressfield wrote a book called The War of Art. Um, and he, he talks about this thing called resistance that's always in our way. The thing, that, the thing that makes it so you can't write the book, the thing that makes it so you can't start the business, the thing that's in your way that you almost can't identify that's keeping you from becoming your best self from doing the thing you wanna do. And he writes, and he's, he's a very, very well-known author, just um, novels, like he writes great novels uh, and I highly recommend those, but he has probably half a dozen books on breaking through resistance. And uh, The War of Art is I think the best one. Turning Pro is probably the second best one. Um, and I'll, I'll talk, I'll sing his praises all day long. Uh, he's a just fantastic teacher on dealing with resistance, which if you do anything, you're going to, you're going to, if you do anything important at all, you will run into resistance. And he's trying to show you how, how to work with resistance and work around resistance. Incredible. So there's a short list. <laughs> I could probably name oh, 10 others. Oh, yeah. Of people who've had an impact. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a fascinating question. And yeah. the answers are all over the board when I ask that. And what always strikes me is generally speaking, 
probably, you know, 99 times out of 100 for, you know, people that we've asked that question to, the people who are mentioned as heroes, like to your, your own personal heroes, your mentors, wouldn't know that they are a mentor to you, right? Like if you asked them, they're not going to be like, oh yeah, of course I mentored, you know, I was, a, I had a big impact on his life. They Like they wouldn't know. Yeah. Um, and what always strikes me about that is um, the, the, the reason I started this show was um, a mentor of mine said to me when I was very young, he said, hey, someday when you grow up, your kids are going to have a hero. And if you're not worthy, it's not going to be you. Oof. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and I was like, I was like, oh, and yeah. like, I was like 17 at the time, right? Kids were a long ways off in my future. But for whatever reason, that stuck with me for a long time. And the, the reason it stuck is because you realize that like everyone has their heroes, right? Their mentors, people they look up to. Um, and if you're not the kind of person who's worthy of it, you're not going to be that. You're not going to be the one they choose. Be worthy. Yeah, and be so worthy. for me, it was always it was always a reminder to be worthy of someone choosing me as their hero, yeah, right? Even if awesome. it's only my my four kids. It's an incredible right? lesson. That's an incredible lesson to get when you're 17. That's awesome. Yeah, awesome. yeah. And and so the reason I asked that question is because I'm curious to see like how often that's true. And so far, it's been it's been very true that people are regularly like you look up to people who had an impact on your life who probably don't know yeah yeah <laughs> that you chose them to look up to yeah there was I, I think the first time i was asked that question not that question but the question similar to that um you know who's your who's an important mentor i was probably in college and i referenced a my fifth grade teacher uh, mr ecker and i remember it so it was like that that very next summer i bumped into mr ecker and i said hey i want to let you know that this and this and this and this he didn't remember who I was. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about crushing. <laughs> yeah, I have a, uh, I have a 10th grade, my 10th grade English teacher was that way. Um, he actually did remember me though, because um, he, had, he had a big impact on my life and some other things that happened. And I actually went back to his class, uh, I don't know, 20 years later. And, and uh, he invited me to speak to his, his, his class. And so I, I got up and talked to them and I was like, um, and I was like, cause I, I can attribute a couple of things that he taught me specifically that have helped me grow really large organizations um and one of them was the idea that um to fail forward um and like you know failures failure is just like the stepping stones of success and it was like the first time i ever learned that like really really well was from him and it was something very specific he taught me um and i remember going back to his class and just talking to his students about that i was like i was like this guy here and the stuff that he's taught me has like directly like led to several hundred thousand dollars in revenue in my companies. So it was like, pay attention. <laughs> yeah. Listen up. 10th yeah. grade. Yep. 10th grade. Yep. 10th grade English class. Right. And he, uh, he changed my life. Um, but yeah. So sometimes you get the opportunity to go back and actually tell someone, but for the most part, they don't know. Yeah. I had a, actually had a coach for his name is, um, and I didn't mention him, which is sort of amazing. Um, uh, Greg Opitz. And uh, they asked me to speak at, he, he's, uh, he's part of a big coaching program and they put on this, you know, this annual um, conference called Excel and they asked me to speak at Excel and he was actually in the audience. And I was like, you know, there's 50 people, 60 people in the audience. And I was, for the first time ever, I got to publicly say, thanks. I've been working with him for 10 years. You know, at the beginning, there was all this, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. But at the end, it was more like, hey, I got this issue. Can you help me out? He was just awesome, you know, beginning to end. Uh, and I got to say thank you. And it was, it was huge. And like, we, you know, shared a big hug at the end of the presentation. It's just, you know, the ability yeah. that take the chance, like go say thank you to these people. I say uh, yeah. you get a lot out of it. Absolutely. I agree. So last question for you, your guiding principles. 
Right. One of the things that makes heroes heroic is that they live their life by a code. For instance, Batman, you know, to go out, out of the uh, Marvel space, he never kills his enemies. He only ever brings them to Arkham Asylum. So as we wrap up the show, I want to talk about the top one, maybe two principles you live your life, run your businesses by. Maybe something you wish you'd know when you started out on your own hero's journey. Hmm. So uh, it's interesting because I'm in the business of giving people advice. And advice... You know, people don't seek advice when they know the way. They seek advice when they don't know the way. Um, they seek advice when they're running into a struggle. You know, you, 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 so it's in that way, I'm kind of a coach advice. So the most important thing, and, you know, every business book talks about it. It's not, this isn't rocket science. You know, the only basis for an advisor-client relationship is complete mutual trust. My only value to my client is if they can hear me when I'm telling them something that's uncomfortable for them and they can follow through and take action. So the only thing that I have, the only way that I can make a difference in their lives, really make a difference in their lives, is if I make a difference at that moment when it really matters. When they're not comfortable, they're angry, they're upset, they're scared. And if I can, if I can have a relationship based on total trust. And I can say, Hey, listen, you know, I don't know how this turns out, but I think that we have a plan in place. And I think that if you do this and this and this and this, just like we said in the plan, it's going to turn out. Okay. And if we built that relationship up and they trust that advice, they will be able to continue forward. They'll be able to take that advice and they'll be able to um, take the steps necessary, which means it's critical. It's so important that in every circumstance, if you, want to be, if you want to give anyone advice and you want to be trusted for that advice, you have to always, always tell the complete unvarnished truth and let the chips fall where they may. Sometimes you'll tell the truth and, and someone will choose not to be a client anymore. Sometimes you'll tell the truth and, and, and bad things will happen, but you have, to, you have to tell the truth and you have to let the bad things happen, let the chips fall where they may, or no one will ever listen to your advice. You have to be trustworthy. Um, you know, in, in, and so this leads to this, the second part is the best business is the one that people will talk about and refer into. And the only way that works, the only way you get that, the only way that ever happens is if you are referable, you know, the only way you, you can be trusted is if you are trustworthy. The only way you receive referrals, which is a fantastic thing for business is if you are referable. So you have to, and I think you said this earlier, you have to be worthy. You want to, you want to be somebody's hero someday, you have to be worthy of being that hero. Well, you've got to be, you've got to be trustworthy, you've got to be referable, you've got to be worthy. And so this goes, this goes deep into just developing yourself. Develop yourself. Be a better person. If you become a better person, if you if you're honest all the time, you tell the unvarnished truth, you let the chips fall where they may, it's going to suck sometimes, but in the fullness of time you are going to be more successful than any other way. Yeah. Yeah. And I, this, I think comes down, it's really particular, particular for a lot of young entrepreneurs um, who have not yet put in the time to build up their skills. Right. And I find, I find this, this happens a lot um, where people are like, I want to get into this space and do this thing, but I don't have the book of business to back me up yet. So how do I approach a new client? and get them to say yes to me, to like take a chance on me. And how often I've had to be the coach on the other side, telling them like, be honest about where you are. 
yep. there are people who are willing to take that chance, right? And one of my one of my favorite stories from my own growing up as an entrepreneur is I had I had a a client who came to me and was like, I want to get this particular problem solved, um, and he's like, everyone I've talked to says it can't be done. And I looked at him and I was like, that's because it's never been done before. Right. And like, we don't, nobody knows how to do that. Um, and I was like, I have some ideas on ways that we could potentially approach that um, and maybe come up with a solution. I was like, but I can't put my time into that unless you pay me for it. Right. And I was like, we may not come up with anything. Right. We might come up completely blank. Nothing will work. It'll all be terrible. Um, and I was like, but if you're willing to bet on it, we can approach something, see if we can come up with something together. Um, and we, we, he did, he went for that. He paid me for three months to work on this problem. And we did actually come up with a solution for it, um, invented some new tech to make that happen. It was really cool. But the point for me was learning, learning how to be, how to use honesty and the truth as a way to close clients, even when you don't have the book of business to back you up. And then in the future, I was able to close a whole bunch more clients who needed the solution to the same problem because now I, ha I had something. But if I had lied to him up front and we couldn't come up with anything and I told him I could or that I had things, I would have ruined my reputation and my business. <laughs> yep. Yep. No doubt. No doubt. So it's definitely an important thing to learn as you're growing. I actually think that's probably a really great place to wrap our interview. I do have one final thing that I do on all my interviews. I call it the Heroes Challenge. It's a simple um, little thing, hopefully, to help me get access to stories I might not otherwise find on my own because not everyone's out doing the podcast rounds like you and I might be doing. Um, so the question is simple. Do you have someone in your life or in your network that you think has a cool entrepreneurial story? Who are they? First names are fine. And why do you think they should come share their story on our show? First person that comes to mind for you. Uh, it's somebody actually I recently interviewed and he's been a friend of mine for 27 years. I, uh, his name is Gary. Uh, and he's, he's not, he doesn't do a lot of interviews. Uh, you know, he's not seeking any kind of uh, exposure or anything like that. Um, but he, what he has done is he's built a business and his, his idea of enough is different than, than most people's idea of enough. Uh, and he's built a business that gives him time. Uh, and I, you know, we talked about this earlier, how we both sort of overworked uh, and, and um, worked too many hours and worked too hard, um, thinking we were working both hard and smart and doing neither. Uh, yeah. And, and he, he worked incredibly smart and he built something that he can actually leave for six months and not have to worry about it, which in my book is incredibly impressive. It doesn't, you know, it's, it's not going to make him wealthy, but it, he got what he wanted. He, he said, this is what I want. I want time. How do I make it so I have time? And he built a thing that gives him time, which is impressive. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, what I've been focusing most of my business growth stuff on is how do I, how do I get a time first? Um, and then B, how do I get a, get the money second, right? To, you know, to grow and do some other things. So yeah, I would love to see if we can interview Gary and see what it, all he's doing and hear his story. They don't always say yes, but anyways, we'll send an invitation out afterwards and maybe we'll get yeah. a cool story. Sounds good. Um, so in comic books, there is always the crowd of people who are cheering and clapping for the acts of heroism at the end. So as we close, I want to know where people can find you if they want your help in the future. Where can they light up the bat signal, so to speak, and say, you know, hey, Jonathan, I'd really love to get your help with my financial planning. And I think second from to that is who are the most important people to actually reach out? Yeah, so, so the best place to reach out, is the place that everyone starts is the website, right? Mindful.money. Um, and probably, you know, if, if somebody... 
is looking at a, a company exit or something, you know, selling a piece of real estate or, you know, a parent who's passed recently. Um, I, you know, I'm going through this with my, with my sister-in-law um, after my brother died, you know, finances are a mess and, uh, and figuring that stuff out is really, it's really hard. And, and I've kind of figured it out now uh, how that works. So um, that's one subset of people is people that have, you know, established net worth and want some support from a one-on-one -on -one financial advisor. They can reach out to us through that website, uh, mindful.money there. Uh, also on the website, you can just go to the education tab and you can take a digital course. Uh, digital courses are there. They, you know, there's a free one and I hope we can put it in the show notes. Um, that's yeah, uh, values, values, purpose, and goals. And I'll just submit that and you guys can, uh, um, share that with your audience. Uh, and it's a great, it's the thing I do every single year. Uh, it's something I've done for 20 years. It's a, it's an incredible tool. I just turned it into a course for people to, to, to do it themselves. So you go to mindful money, all my social media stuff is there. You can connect with me on social media if that's your preference, or you can just send us a note through the, through the website. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on today, Jonathan. I really appreciated the opportunity to get to hear your story. Um, and learn what you're doing and get to hear, uh, hear some of your past experiences. So again, I appreciate that. And I love what you're doing. Um, last thing here, do you have any final words of wisdom for our audience before I hit that uh, stop record button here at the end? Uh, I do, but just before I, just before I go to those words, uh, I want to say thanks, Richard, for having me on because this is, you know, I'm a huge fan of Marvel and DC and, and you, you've, uh, this is a very interesting take on this and I, it was a lot of fun. So I, I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so, so final words, um, it's kind of a tagline a little bit. I use it as often as I can. So I think it's the, it's the three things we can do um, to get us in a better place. And they are, it's very simply, uh, stop predicting, start planning and stay mindful. Absolutely. It's a great place to end it. Thank you very much.